creeds and criticism meet. to the Split Frame of Reference podcast. Welcome back to the Split Frame of Reference podcast. I'm Nick. And I'm Allison. And today we are talking about a certain Wayne Rudum. (laughs) Yes. um, So he's written a lot on the subject, as you might have guessed. (laughs) He's he's written a lot. Being an understatement. Mm Um. I'm not sure. So here's where I'm at on this. Um, I'm not sure how to say this. This might be becoming outdated. Um, Maybe. So I'm, I'm a little hesitant to focus too much on Grudem in a lot of our discussions, just because it seems like a lot of complementarianism has, in many ways, moved past his work in at, some way or another. At least complementarianism that has to deal with egalitarianism, you know, and they have to deal with ministry and faculty like that Grudem's not um, particularly um, looked upon with favor in mixed faculty or mixed churches he's his work seems to thrive a little more in uh, single voice faculty and churches and all that sort of stuff maybe um, although I've also engaged in I won't say who but uh, in a context where uh, complementarianism was the dominant view and there were very few egalitarians mm-hmm. um, and they seem to also view Grudem as a bit extreme at this point True. Um, which is a move so back when I was in school it was all about Grudem mm-hmm. all about Grudem and gender theology I'm not so sure that's the case now um, so anyway we've been a little bit hesitant to di- do a deep dive into Grudem's work um, but just given some of the shifts that have occurred um, it was all Nick and I used to talk about when we first started this journey, but... Well, we both had to read Grudem in undergrad, so Grudem, was, <laughs> Grudem was the, quote, systematic theology, end quote, book that we had to read in undergrad, and once I finished undergrad, I didn't pick it up again until basically uh, this. I did, um, but... Um, so, okay, so I'd say our roadmap for today, we are going to update you on what we've been up to this whole time, um, sort of, and then we'll go into Grudem's more recent systematic theology book. Um, we're going to cover Trinity and some of the linguistic arguments. Yeah, specifically, uh, he did he did a recent revised or, quote, completely updated, although we'll see the theology, methodology, and method of argumentation is about the same as it's always been. He hasn't really changed his mind on very much. Uh, and so, but he did, a, he came out with a second edition of his systematic theology, and we figured, well, there's... Not a whole lot written on it from a critical perspective that doesn't just, you know, throw him under the bus because he's reformed or a fundamentalist or oh. whatever, you know. And so just being like, all right, from from an egalitarian and we would say orthodox Trinitarian standpoint, let's let's take a look at what uh, it, what he has to say and if it's, well, of value to the church. Well, and maybe we'll get into this, but just to put this out there, um, a, a notable thing he did add to his overall worldview is eternal generation. Mm-hmm. Um, he did and he didn't, so we'll get we'll get there. Um, so, yeah. what have we been up to, Nick? Uh, just ministry and life. Uh, still slowly doing the PhD stuff at Ridley. 
uh, published an article on Philo's use of uh, authentes, um, and you know that's the verb or the the word root found in one Timothy two twelve, and I put Philo in conversation with Paul because Philo uses the word in conver- in uh, in his discourse on Cain and Abel, which of course tells us that. Uh, <laughs> Is very friendly to the egalitarian position because human relationships shouldn't be marked uh, as Cain and Abel's relationship, which ended ultimately in uh, death. But uh, so I, I published that in the Canadian American Theological Review, had some really helpful peer reviewers, and the editor there was in, uh, absolutely incredible. But so I published that and just been doing ministry and trying to be a dad and husband and, and that kind of stuff, too. Yeah, so just just that sort of stuff. What about you? Yeah, I've been working on my dissertation, and uh, I've been going half-time as of late. Uh, just as you all know, the world radically changed. Um, I was also had some recovering to do and um, also had a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am right now working on a, finishing up a fifth, maybe hopefully sixth. I'm hoping this is going to be two chapters. Uh, we'll see what my mentor has to say about that. Um, but... I'm hoping I'm at five or six out of eight chapters at this point. And nice. yeah, so it's getting wrapped up. Um, right now I'm working on integrating uh, the Gospel of Mark with First Timothy. And um, one aspect that might be a little bit of interest in the context of what you were saying, Nick, um, is in Mark, um, there's essentially there's a, uh, a portion in First Timothy that is also in Mark 10. And it has to do with the um, Jesus being a ransom for many or all. And it's in the context of James and John fighting over who's going to be at Jesus's right hand. And Jesus says um, not to exercise authority the way the Gentiles do. And that's kind of interesting for the First Timothy debate, um, because sometimes um, there's too much of a fixation on what does an individual word mean in a very wooden sense. So is it positive or negative? And if it's positive, then it can't have a negative sense in the broader passage, which is not true. Um, And so for instance, in Mark, um, you have exousia. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily a thoroughly negative word Mm -hmm. um, for exercising authority, um, but it has a very negative context there. And Jesus says not to do that. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, that's kind of a little bit of what I'm working on. And um, I also... Uh, planned and implemented a emergency event, a nonprofit event in four days. Um, I had a partner in crime, thankfully, so that was a trip. Um, I won't get into details on that. And then I've been having some fun with jujitsu. Mm-hmm. It's my hobby right now. And we have a baby currently asleep, so we'll we'll see how long this this goes. Uh, but yeah, baby's coming along. He's almost well. He's not almost two, but he's closer to two than he is to one. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, he, and he's he's absolutely brilliant. Uh, he knows his. He can point to all the correct letters of the alphabet. Mm-hmm. He knows there's. He can point out which correct alphabet um, goes with which sound. Mm-hmm. Um, he can show you one through five on his hands, um, either in order or out of order, mm-hmm. and ten. And he's working on the other ones. It's hard for him to. I think it's the dexterity. It's a dexterity. It's hard for him to do one thing on one hand and a different thing on the other hand. But he understands kind of the basic concept of numbers, which is pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, he surprises us. He surprises us every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So we published a critical review of Grudem's 
second edition systematic theology in the academic journal uh, Priscilla Papers. And that can be found in, I, I want to say, let's see, this is Priscilla Papers uh, 35.2, spring of this year, so 2021. And it's just called Systematic Theology and Introduction to Biblical Doctrine, but it's essentially a critical review of it. And that starts on page 19. And we co-authored this uh, because uh, we figured it would, I'm not as trained in systematics as Allison is, and I figured... Why not just run together on this and see what happens? So, and I take too long obsessing over intros and never get anything written. Um, so yeah. it was helpful to have Nick start the intro, and then I could go back through the intro and then other pieces and mm-hmm. you know tweak them. I'm really good at just throwing pieces of puzzle on the table and being like, "All right, now we arrange." And Allison's like, "Nope, I will arrange." It's like, okay, fine. I obsess too much is the problem, so I never get anything on the paper for like hours or days or months, and mm-hmm. so it's helpful to have Nick just. Here we go. Here we yep. go. <laughs> Here it is. So, but we'll start with uh, we'll start with the doctrine of the Trinity because Grudem, in his first edition and throughout a lot of his his writings, um, straight up uh, just denied the eternal generation of the Son, and was very emphatic about it. Uh, and seems like he really didn't. At least looking back on it, he seems a little kind of I would say ashamed. That's not the right word, but a little. Um, Oh, not a shame, but just, you know, he didn't understand it. Maybe it's kind of the idea yeah, and, and all this sort of stuff. And But um, I want to read something to you, and okay. I, I think this is helpful. Uh, this is, um, you can find this on uh, academia.edu from Jamin Hubner, a friend of ours. And this is a transcript of a question he asked Wayne Grudem at ETS, the Evangelical Theological Society, panel mm-hmm. discussion Q&A in 2016, and it was on the Trinity. Yeah. And so uh, this audio file is available, but, you know, it's all right here. And so Sam Storms, a uh, prominent complementarian, basically goes, hey, I have a question. And then Jamin, you know, prepares to answer. And he has two questions. And Grudem interrupts him to basically say, hey, can you speak into the mic? You know, sort of thing. And then so skipping all that, Hubner asks, OK, and this is word for word. OK, page 251 of Systematic Theology. So this is first edition. Uh, says, quote, if we did not have subordination in the Godhead, then there would be no inherent difference in the way three divine persons relate to one another, end quote. And then Grudem says, I don't agree with that anymore. And Hubner says, okay. And Grudem says, because eternal generation is the difference. And then Hubner says, page 433 of Evangelical Feminism and Biblical Truth, quote, if we did not have, did not have such differences in, in the authority, in the relationships between the members of the Trinity, then we would not know, emphasis Hubner, um, of any difference at all. And then Grudem, end quote. And Grudem says, yeah, I don't agree with that anymore either because I now hold to the eternal generation of the sun, which I surely do not fully understand. Uh, talk about... Well, although who does, to be honest? Well, who does, but, you know, maybe you should... Anyway, <laughs> I will, but I will change that in the revised edition of Systematic Theology. And so that's the version we'll be looking at today. And then Hubner says, and I think this is very helpful, I guess I don't see how the eternal generation is relevant since it's talking about subordination, not generation. And then Grudem says, right, I still think that eternal, the Son is. I still think that the Son is eternally subject to and submissive to the authority of the Father, so that is a difference. But I'm going to say that the eternal generation of the Son is also difference. Two things. Is that helpful? And then Sam Storm says, next over here, and they move on. Yeah, so two things. Okay, so interesting. So at that time, he saw him as two different things. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, in the when I was reading his second edition, it looked like he was trying to put them together, mm-hmm. but not really successfully. Right. So that's kind of an interesting thing that where he, okay, I do see it as two different things, but I think the problem maybe he came across was, you know, once before, you know, the problem was, oh, well, 
Um, if you don't say it's a hierarchy um, based off of, um, if there's no authoritative hierarchy, then there's no true difference. Well, once you um, posit this, then that kind of goes out the window from what he's talking about. Um, right. So you can. There you go. So, yeah. but it seems like he may have realized that and not quite wanted to let go of, you know, th- this is our card. Authority is the difference. Right. And and there is this sort of, you know, sleight of hand, basically. I still think the sun is still all these things that I've taught about and kind of invented, you know, for all this sort of stuff. But, you know, I'm going to say that there are two differences now. But it's like he's completely undercut himself because if they wouldn't have this authority, authority difference in the in the Trinity, then we wouldn't know that, you know, we would have uh, no inherent way of, in, of discerning how they relate to one another. But eternal generation does that, and internal generation does not imply the authority of the, of the Father over the Son. So basically, he's, he's not understood, at least in this context and in further context, how he's completely undercut the point, but he's essentially conceded, but he still wants to retain hierarchy in the Trinity. And we all know why, or at least I'm just going to say it, because that's a model for how husbands and wives and women and men relate. And once that goes out, uh, you kind of run out of excuses to have women doing these sorts of things or well, not doing certain things. and you lose an important imperative to mm-hmm. say how why you must hold to this view. Yeah, it's, pull, it's basically pulling the God card in, in yeah. some sense. Basically, if the son is eternally subordinate to the father, then ipso facto women. You know, who, who are you, oh man or oh woman, to <laughs> deny how God has designed us because God himself has designed it this way within himself. You know, I mean, I'm being superfluous with that, but that's kind of the idea. Yeah, so let me, I'm going to read some of our art, just a piece of our article just on the um, eternal hierarchy of the sun, um, just so pe- folks can kind of get a sense of what he's saying a bit in his second edition. Um, so this is, so th- these are my words with some of Grudem's ideas sprinkled in. Um, eternal generation is an ancient doctrine that helps one understand how, in the context of monotheism, one member of the Trinity can be completely and fully God, equal in essence or nature, and yet distinct from another member of the Trinity. Grudem adds eternal generation to his prior way of distinguishing the members of the Trinity based on authority and submission, which is, he uses as a basis for gender-based hierarchy. So what does the eternal generation of the Son represent for Grudem? It signifies that in some sense the Son is from the Father, 297. Whether preferably for Grudem, this means the Father eternally communicates to the Son the divine essence, or legitimately, the Father is the source of the personal distinctions between Father and Son. The Son being from the Father implies that the Son is of the same nature as the Father, for a Father begets a Son like himself. That's um, pretty ancient church type thinking. Mm -hmm. The Son is a distinct person from the Father, for the Son is begotten and the Father is unbegotten, and... Three, there's a specific order in the relationship between father and son, and that's the biblical pattern is always from the father through the son, as in 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Um, the problem is that uh, the way, again, Grudem tries to bring this together is disjointed. Um, I, for me, it seems to come down to what he understands roles to be and how he kind of plays with the term order. Um, so in the context of the eternal generation, order is not talking about authority and hierarchy mm-hmm. in that sense um that's just not that's just not in view at all and so it's kind of like he's kind of just conflated the two in my opinion well he's also made an uh an illogical jump because he basically says you know point one the son is of the same nature as the father for the fa- as a father begets a son like himself so that's point one point two the son is a distinct person from the father for the son is begotten and the father is unbegotten you already then and that's eternal generation you already have 
the concession there. That is the difference between yeah. father and son. That's how you can have uh, the Trinity within a monotheistic framework. But then Grudem kind of just shoves his his prior way of thinking back into the conversation when it's completely unnecessary. He's already basically conceded that we already have a difference and it's not predicated on hierarchy. He's basically yeah. just conceded this to the egalitarians, or I would say the orthodox trinitarians, because I would argue subordinationism is not orthodox. And so he basically has conceded this massive point, but I don't think he gets it. Because he, it's one of those things, that, but he still has to hold on to his, his main point, because that's kind of the thing. Yeah, something else that really bothered me was just how he treated, well, I mean, a lot of people treated Amy Bird. Um, she had some legitimate critiques on the substance of his argument. At which there is not a whole lot of. Yeah, I mean, if someone, like, critiques my argument, and let's say I think they're wrong, I'm not going to be, they're bearing false witness. That's ridiculous. Um, and that's exactly what he tried to accuse her of. As though uh, her critique of his argument was just slandering him. So um, uh, let's just go into. So basically, here's here's the problem that I that she found. Um, if authority and submission are rooted in the eternal nature, which is an ontological category um, in the Trinity, then individual members of the Trinity contain part of what belongs to God's nature that the others do not, and these parts of God's nature are hierarchically construed. Therefore, the son in his nature or essence is not equally an equal authority to the father. Um, so I know Grudem says he believes in ontological equality, but relational differences. You can see page 300. But unfortunately, he's not following the logical results of his view. So he just, you know, Amy Bird um, thought his arguments left <laughs> led down a dark road and, you know, that the logical result was something um, potentially heretical. And because the logical results of his view were deemed heretical, um, Grudem decided that um, she was falsely, you know, accusing him of heresy Mm -hmm. um, versus, you know, just not following his conclusions adequately. Well, and you'll notice, too, Grudem says she's slanderous, she's this, she's that. But the same people that, you know, if a guy said the same thing, I don't think Grudem would say that slander. Well, and he was a lot more charitable to the guys that critiqued his work, I noticed. I mean, he's dismissive and he's patronizing, but he's not like, you are bearing false witness against me. How dare you? You know, it's just, I don't know, it just goes to show i mean there there is a, a character issue here that needs to be at least reflected on i mean if some if if a woman says something to me and i basically blow her off and say you know go away you don't know what you're talking about you're stupid blah 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 but if a guy said the exact same thing you know that's a really good point it's okay there, there's some issue here in how i treat people and how i view people story of my life yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so i mean it I, I'd take a read. Um, I would also read uh, Matthew Emerson and Luke Stamp's book, uh, Trinitarian Theology, some of their other stuff. Um, they have some interesting thoughts and some good critiques of Grudem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But all this to say, Grudem basically is, he, he's he's brought in something that, on the one hand, makes his theology more orthodox, but still wants to retain the distinctive element that his theology is unorthodox so it's basically he's like all right i you know if i'm making i don't know i'm making a drink i'm putting you know coca-cola in there i'm throwing some lime juice i'm throwing some bitters and all this sort of stuff and you know stuff like that and then grooms like yes and then i will add a shot of lemon juice to make this you know really stand out and it's like good eternal generation lemon juice that's wonderful but then grudem says and i'm also going to sneeze into the glass it's like oh okay you, you don't need to sneeze into the glass you know sneeze your uh your 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 eternal subordination of the sun sneeziness into the glass we don't really need that but Grimm's like no 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 i've been sneezing my whole life i must make sure this makes it into the glass and so it's one of those things that i, I suppose i just don't understand the 
felt need to maintain this ideological point, but then as soon as I say ideological point, I basically understand. Yeah, it's part of So with his uh, problems with Emerson and Stamps, too, um, it's he can't he kept maintaining that um well the heart of their objection is not that uh scripture denies the eternal subjectivity of the father like it's or sorry um he's he's basically saying the problem with their critique is that they can't point out how in scripture um there's an explicit denial of his view and that they're really critiquing him on um pro-nicene Mm-hmm. support mm-hmm. um he number one he doesn't get how interconnected those two are and then also that uh, the the problem is like he's he's wanting them to essentially call it a negative like <laughs> so it's let me let me put it here um he seems to assume Emerson and Stamps need to demonstrate that the eternal generation is explicitly denied in certain passages when the issue is that the eternal subordination is not taught in Scripture. So, number one, they're critiquing that the the passages he's appealing to, they don't teach what he says they're teaching. But then he jumps up and down saying, you know, they're not answering my proof text. But you haven't shown that they deny what I'm teaching. You, so, can't, you can't show me that the Scripture doesn't teach that cars are sinful. Yeah, it's, it's just, just kind of, it's, it's yeah. like, they're, they're saying, you know, you're not making your case that the passages are saying what you say they're teaching. And then also um, counter-interpretations, there's other counter-interpretations to those same passages that are more plausible and consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, finally, that eternal subordination is antithetical to Nicene orthodoxy. And so um, Grudem doesn't quite catch that distinction and instead says, well, your real problem is you're essentially... Um, leaning on the teachings of man and i you know these passages you know say what i what i say they're teaching these passages can only say what i believe and know they're saying and short of a passage that i guess says you know a flat-out denial of what i'm teaching which is again ridiculous like again trying to prove a negative so yeah it's and he just doesn't catch this and and it's you know and there, there have been serious New Testament scholars, systematic theologians, church historians who have done the actual work on the subject without an ideological axe to grind and have concluded that Grudem's probably in the minority on this. And It's th- a little frustrating, though, because like, he doesn't actually engage with a lot of the substance of these arguments. And that's what I found, you know, just very frustrating. Like, he has a lot to say. I'll put it that way. You know, he, he puts a lot on the page. But at the end of the day, the substance of the argument doesn't get addressed um instead he just kind of goes after a point that's not being made or it's just it's very odd it's it's goalpost moving he's continually moving the goalpost you know but show me somewhere in scripture where cars are not said to be this way and it's just okay okay, but i'm saying you're wrong because there are better interpretations and this this and this and he's like but you haven't shown why it couldn't be the case Or, or or it's just like okay dude like you know, I don't know. It's just it's one of those things where there's he, there's a, a very distinct ideological intentionality with what he's attempting to write. And basically, if you disagree with him, it's like, well, I mean, I've got my proof texts. It's like, well, show me a passage in scripture that says um, aliens are not going to enslave us all. Mm, you can't, can you? Yeah. And it's just one of those things. I think any any person, even if you affirm some sort of, quote, order in the Trinity, as Grudem says, yeah. can at least see that this is not the place to get it. And I think his lack of um, plausible methodology, his um, his proof texting on basically one or two passages, and his just his, he's just not historically aware of what's going on in church history. I mean, 
we can't be everything, of course, in our in our literature. And I'm not saying he must be an expert in everything, but he is seen as an expert on this subject. And the fact yeah. that he's not getting what other experts are saying tells me that there's an issue in just kind of methodology here. Well, and here's a critique I have at large. Um, oftentimes, expertise is sometimes ideologically construed. Hmm. And so um, from for some places, and I'm not, and I, by the way, I'm not just saying this for, you know, Grudem or, you know, I'm not just picking on complementarians. Um, someone's considered an expert because they have the... Um, they have the qualitative belief. They have um, the ideolo- the correct ideology. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, that's kind of like the litmus test of whether or not they're an expert in whatever it is versus the quality right. of their argumentation, their ability to engage with other views. Um, and that's something Nick and I actually admired about Amy Bird um, is she um, was just a very firm complementarian um, in her time. And the thing is, she really engaged with her opposition. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just kind of, uh, it's, it's sad that that kind of, um, I would say careful respect and, um, care for the facts has gone out the window, I would say mm-hmm. at large, um, again, not just in the complementarian camp, but. Oh, there are egalitarians yeah. that are absolute jerks. Like we're not, we're not saying that jerkishness is an ontological aspect of complementarianism. Yeah. I guess, I, I guess I'm, I guess that what I'm trying to say is this isn't just Grudem that does this kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. I, I am saying this, I would say in quote feminist, uh, communities too is you know well so and so is a sexist so i don't have to engage rightly with his views i don't have to respect him as a person or him or her Mm -hmm. um and i just i don't know i just wish we i wish we could do better there we go yeah and so in speaking of uh doing better uh we the the second half of our, our review was on kind of word studies and linguistics specifically as it relates to the evangelical gender debate and one of the things that I noticed when writing this section uh, specifically, because this is an area where I'm a a little more, where I've read a lot in, there was a distinct uh, lack of advancing the actual arguments and conversation. So, for example, Grudem does not engage, or maybe a better way of saying it is this, shows no substantial engagement or awareness of the people that have not only critiqued him, but also shown to be a lot of what he said is just not true. And so he is, he doesn't, in his systematic theology, he doesn't talk about pain or Westfall or Huebner's work, considering the, uh, or concerning the verb authenteo in uh, 1 Timothy 2.12. Um, linguistic advances that pain and Westfall and Huebner have specifically made are, are ignored in favor of kind of just simple restatements or kind of sloganeering. So yeah. what I mean is you'll see stuff where the, basically if he's saying the exact same things he said in his book, you know, 20, 20 years ago, let's say. Um, and when the debate has moved so substantially, we have so much more data to deal with. We have so much more uh, interdisciplinary materials, you know, linguistics, aspect theory, yeah. you know, all this sort of stuff. And if you're saying the exact same thing about a debate that has moved on from it, there's an issue there. It shows that you're not conversant in scholarship, or if you are conversant in scholarship, it has not made it onto the page of your scholarship. And that's a big issue just in terms of, 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 of New Testament scholarship or systematic theology scholarship. So, for example, Grudem appeals to Al Walter's essay on authenteo in one of his footnotes in support of the complementarian understanding of the verb that authenteo refers to a positive or neutral sense of authority. Even though Walter's in a postscript of the book, the big book on 1 Timothy 2.12 from Complementarians admits he doesn't have the sufficient train to deal with modern advances in linguistics as put forth by Westfall, Cynthia Westfall, friend of the show. And so it's one of those where it's like, 
and I, I've also criticized criticized uh, Walter's uh, method and work in my own article. I, I don't think I think half of it's great, and other half I'm like, okay, this is not guided by a consistent methodology. Um, and so the issue is basically Grudem cites his own work, which was published in 2004, and I'll let you know. Westfall published her stuff in 2014, 2016, Payne in 2009, and Huebner in 2015, or, you know, from 2012 on, he's published a bunch on this. All are informed by linguistic theory, and all, all have, I would argue, substantially disputed his thesis, Grudem's yeah. thesis. Um, and specifically, Westfall and Payne and Huebner, like Huebner's work in methodology, Payne's work in linguistics, or uh, Westfall's work in linguistics. Basically, if Grudem then doesn't cite them, doesn't engage with them because and people go, oh, well, he can't spend all this time. It's like, no, he spent a lot of extra time on this. This is a bit, <laughs> considering section-wise, he spends a lot of time on the evangelical gender debate, specifically 1 Timothy 2.12 in, in the second edition. Like yeah. that's, he, he, so it's like, no, he's got the, t- he's taken the time. This book is a thousand, pa- couple, like a thousand pages. He can take an extra couple pages to actually engage with the actual arguments. Yeah. But basically, Grudick concludes without any explicit reasoning, and that's an issue, and Schreiner does this, and a lot of scholars do this. Basically, they go, they uh, have not made their case. But it's like, but how have they not made their case? What's wrong about what they've said? Yeah. So Grudem basically says, Walter's study is, to, I can't recall, but I'll say sufficient to end the debate. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm not quoting him on that, but that's the attitude. But that's not what Walter says. Yeah. But... Um, we got that footnote there. Yep, that footnote. You know, basically... And, uh, basically, Walter says, I'm not a linguist. And basically says Westfall's work came out a little too late for him to deal with it. You know, Let's and, see. and he's also friends with Westfall. So. Yeah, page 1159, note 69. In Systematic Theology 2. Um, no, wait, that's for um, L. Walter's essay on Authentio? Yeah, it? no, that's yeah. Grudem. Yeah, basically, Grudem cites him on that page. Yeah. Um, but basically, what we see is this is exegetical triumphalism. Grudem is basically acting in a triumphalistic manner in a way that's unwarranted by the actual evidence and complexity of this debate, specifically this word. And that's a, a thing I've noticed Grudem does a lot in the sections on women in ministry. He'll just kind of reassert over and over these sorts of things when these are the very things up for conversation and debate. And another, and this this one actually really bothered me, if I'm honest. Uh, what he does is so... Philip Payne has argued that the present tense verb, epitrepo, I am not permitting in 1 Timothy 2.12... Um, ha- denotes, we would say, a temporal injunction, injunction, not an eternal prohibition. That is, Paul is speaking very specifically to a specific situation, and his words are not to be taken, we would say, universally or, or, or something like that. Um, but Grudem actually develops de- devotes a bit of space to this, and Payne's not the first person to make this, but Payne's one of the big ones, and he's been making this point since the mid-'80s. Um, Grudem basically does not even cite or engage with Payne's arguments, but is arguing with that line of argument. But he never once cites or engages Payne specifically. And that to me is, is rather aggravating because you can see Payne's fingerprints on the argument being addressed, but Payne's not being himself addressed. And that's always just bad, bad form, I think. If Allison writes a book and I go, that, you know, some people say this, but I don't cite them. That's oh, considered yeah. a scholarly, um, yeah, you always have to footnote to somebody. Footnote everything. And so that, that's annoying, though. Um, and, and Grudem actually further asserts that if one were to accept the logic of his, remember, unnamed and unsighted interlocutor, one would witness, and he says this, quote, the nullification of many New Testament instructions for Christians. And that's on page 1161. And this is just uncharitable and incorrect. Because Payne specifically says that Jesus himself negates specific commands from Moses. You know, the famous, you know, you have heard it said, but I say to you in Mark and Matthew, you know, that, that kind of saying. 
um, illustrating that Payne's point that, quote, epitropo does not refer to a universal permanent prohibition, that there's a contextual reality to language. And Grudem just doesn't seem to grasp the significance of that and basically opts for, again, sloganeering. Basically, oh, if we take this line of reasoning, then all of ethics is undone. It's just this, you know, slippery slopism. I think maybe a problem I have just overall with this way of approach, and again, like, I, you know, I'm critiquing a lot of, you know, more recent day feminists as well, where it's just kind of you take, you kind of universalize, you make it the most extreme outcome imaginable, Mm -hmm. or you universalize it, like... If I listen to my wife, then all women must be listened to, you know, it's like, okay, no, that's that's not... Or, you know, just something odd, like, you know, it's just kind of, and it's kind of a, any kind of polarizing context, it's Mm -hmm. always all or nothing, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's, I don't know, I find it very um, tiresome, let's put it that way. Yeah. And it's one of those things, too. If you are operating from an ideological perspective, meaning I, my mind cannot be changed on this. Well, then the, the evidence is the, is the greatest on your side. And yes. it's been the other side has just been thoroughly refuted. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just crazy nutbags for holding to their view. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just so tired of it. There we yeah. go. And, and, I, and I think and it's one of those things, too, and I've said this to a friend of mine, I've published on this, and I've said this before. If I became convinced that women couldn't be pastors and I've been reading the Bible wrong, it would be hard, but I would change my mind. Yeah. Because I value truth more than where I've landed. And I get the sense, based on how Grudem responds to a lot of this, I don't get that sense. Because there is this ideological kind of thrust to it. Because, let's face it, when you foment an entire movement for 30, 40 years, and that is where you've made your money, your time, your publishing, and all that, there is a sense of entrenchment that comes along with that. And I'm not, and that can be applied to people who are correct, even, on certain right. things. Well, an entrenchment is not the same as Conviction. thinking consciously, um, mm-hmm. you know what, I'm going to um, just short a bunch of people for no reason. Maybe I'm going to steal X or maybe I'm going to really hurt um, this one person that disagrees with me. Um, entrenchment is kind of a disposition where every your entire worldview, your way of think, patterns of thought are all pushing you heavily in one direction. Mm-hmm. And you become unable at some point to see outside of this box that you've you've existed in yeah this ideological box i mean yeah and you see it with mainline denominations on certain theological issues you know there's or or fundamental you know or or whatever it's like try talking to just a joke try talking to a southern baptist that once saved always saved is incorrect you know, it's like, you know, or finding a Southern Baptist who actually doesn't agree with that. It's like, you know, there's... there's or take some... whatever ideology you hold true and someone comes along and says, no, that that's complete rubbish. Like, you're already, your, your brain has already discounted them mm-hmm. um, as well. So it's kind of, it, it's an interesting tightrope. Um, mm. And, you know, it, here's the other thing, too, to just think about. Um, people can be extremely brash and... Um, let's just say uh, maybe not the most fun to engage with and still correct. So, you know, even though maybe um, Grudem has some bad habits here, um, (laughs) you know, in the context of other things, it doesn't mean he's incorrect. And so, you know, we need to actually attend to what the content of what he says. And that's where a lot of people do. They're um, actually challenging his arguments. Um, Mm -hmm. They're citing his arguments. They're saying in what particular way they're wrong. Um, but it, 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 the easiest thing is just to say, oh, well, he's an ideologue, so because he's an ideologue, um, I'm, I'm just not going to listen because he's, you know, I know he's wrong. Well, guess what? That's doing the same thing. Well, and, and Hubner and Payne and Westfall, and to a lesser extent myself, have paid him the respect of actually dealing with his arguments, you know, publishing and peer, like peer review, like yeah. and all this sort of stuff, and saying, no, you're wrong. You, I mean, you could be an ideologue and still be correct. 
You know, I mean, exactly. that, that, that can yeah. happen. But here, um, and so moving on, I, I want to, just the last <laughs> bit, and this was this was one that really bothered me, but I was still, you know, not surprised. Uh, the treatment of Junia in Romans 16.7, um, basically Grudem simply asserts that the ESV, an explicitly complementary tra- translation that he spearheaded, so it's, you know, it's a little, you know, I wouldn't say disingenuous, that's not the right word, but it's a little like, well, of course, you know, the ESV is correct. You know, you wouldn't put out a translation you think, you know, is incorrect. Sure. Um, is correct to limit the rule of Junia and Andronicus by adopting the reading offered by Wallace and Bure um, in New Testament studies and uh, that um, uh, prominent among the apostles should be translated as well known to the apostles, a reading that um, I would argue is incredibly recent and um, similarly ideologically motivated. And but Belleville I'll, refutes that Bell, too. But Belleville, Bauckham, um, there's another article in Harvard. Wallace is, a, is huge on the debate on the opposite. Yeah. And so um, there's been responses to them, and I, I think they've been sufficient. Um, and I, 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 yeah, so, but the point is, um, he's, he acknowledges this debate is complex and, you know, uh, page 1,121, but he nevertheless feels that the weight of the complementarian understanding of Junius strongly favors the ESV translation, his translation. Given that this quite recent reading has been criticized since the publication of Grudem's first systematic theology in 1994, uh, I kinda, one must note that Grudem's conclusion is kind of a noteworthy failure to engage with new and challenging evidence. And what I mean by that is when you cite one or two scholars who have been rigorously debated or, or, or shown to be incorrect or, or at least challenged by, yeah. by across the spectrum, Epp, uh, Bauckham, and Belleville, and now you have a few other articles that have come out on this as well in response to Bureau's more recent material, um, if you just cite the people you think are right, and basically, again, it gets back to exegetical triumphalism. Especially though when they've been known to be refuted. And what I mean, like, um, it's not necessarily that, you know, the refutations are 100% correct. But if there's been notable responses and you don't engage with those responses, it seems a little lacking, to well, say the least. Same thing with Kefale. I mean, yeah. with Westfall and Payne's work, you know, on, on headship language, there's no real evidence that he's engaged with it. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking for footnotes or anything like that, you don't see any of that. Um, and so, again, I think the big issue here, and this is what bothers me about a lot of what I see in complementarian like theology, is you're kind of left into the dark as why they prefer their own reading as compared to everything else that might challenge their perspective. And what I mean by that is if a complement, let's make it simple, if a scholar, period, whatever she or he believes, says this reading is um, not persuasive but does not tell you why. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> um, I see that a lot. Um, I this find re- it unconvincing. Okay. I, well, But it's like, who cares what, what yeah, how that, you feel? <laughs> it, well, it literally turns into facts don't, you know, to, put, to paraphrase I hear a lot, facts don't care about your feelings. Nobody should care that you think, oh, I'm not convinced because, you know, who cares about your epistemology? We care about the data. We care about the argument. We care about, you know, all the stuff that goes along with it. And so there is this sense and Grudem basically just gives you no reason as to think why he's, his he or uh his translation or his his friends or his you know the people in his camp are correct aside from the fact that they just are and i think that's a huge issue here um in scholarship at least in a lot of evangelical circles is that well i'm not personally convinced means that this view is wrong or can't be right or whatever and i'm like no you need to give reasons for why this view is not sufficient beyond just not thinking it or not feeling it or even the, the idea and this is something too I just heard about it, and I'm not convinced. I see that a lot. I've made arguments with people, and they basically said straight to me, well, I'm not convinced by that. I'm like, yeah, because you literally just heard it five minutes ago. Well, and, and okay, you can say instead, too, like, all right, well, that's some new information. Um, and again, you, you may not know anything. You may not even know if what Nick says is correct. So just true. say, all right, well, 
I haven't heard that. Um, let me think about it. Or, you know, to be honest, um, I've got a lot on my plate right now. Um, I, you know, I can't really go there with you right now. Um, but that's an interesting point. You know, there's other legitimate ways, I think, to mm-hmm. acknowledge that, you know, something that you heard five seconds ago is not going to overturn your entire worldview and everything you ever believed. So, you know, well, I mean, there's that. Well, and it's like, you know, why is, going back a bit, why is Al Walter's essay in the, in the book definitive? You know, he says, you know, you know, this def- this article is definitive. Yeah, in that footnote, and but that, like it's it's like, well, why is it definitive, and how is it definitive when? Walter- but that postscript—that's the—that's the problem. Like that postscript. Yeah. Like he doesn't seem that convinced about. Well, his own- he's he's convinced, but he's he's you know he's he's open to you know further conversations, and he's friends with yeah. Cindy Westfall. Like Walters is friends with Cynthia Westfall. It's not like they hate each other. They've gone back and forth over the years. Like they, and yeah. he's engaged pretty well. I don't think he's correct, but I think he's a good good. Interlocutor who cares about the evidence, even if I think he's wrong. Yeah, but it seems like in the postscript he's admitting he doesn't have the training or maybe a level of knowledge to really be making some of the claims with very, I don't know, much well, confidence. At, at best, and I think this is fair to Walters, he's moved the conversation forward by go. providing okay. a, a great list of materials, even if I think his methodology is insufficient to deal with the evidence at its best. Okay, well, that's, but, but, that's fair. But his article is to be considered. I, I still don't know if it's considered definitive in the debate, but I do consider it. But he to wants be, to move it forward. Yeah, it's been. Moved, that's fair. I would argue it's been moved forward, um, and that's helpful. And I let, and that's why I thought his article was worth reading. But at the end of the day, um, what we have in systematic theology two, Wayne Grudem's edition, is a really surface level of treatment that lacks nuance and exegetical precision on the question of gender equality and the Trinity. And I think both topics uh, deserve a lot more than what Grudem gives them. And so I think um, there are issues of method, there's issues of um, uh, charity and engagement, and I think there's issues of scholarship yeah. here, uh, very strongly so. And so those three things make me, and I wouldn't, I mean, there's other issues in the book as well that I disagree with, even though I don't, you know, have an issue with people who hold them. But um, what are, what do you think? And this is off, off script a bit. So that's why I don't recommend the book in a nutshell. I, I, think, yeah. it's, I think it's very surface level, and I think there are bar, far better books. And I'm going to ask Allison, what, what books do you think, because I have one I'll recommend first, um, that are really good evangelical theology that are, they may be complementarian or egalitarian or whatever, but are rigorous, helpful, and good. I'm going to suggest one first. Well, okay. But, okay, here's the other thing um, for what Grudem's book is. It's an introductory book to a lot of topics. Sure. You know, so it's not supposed to be, you know, just this deep, like, you know, I, I don't know, this isn't a Karl Barth, like, several volume set or, like, uh, Pannenberg's. Um, it, it's just not supposed to be that either. So, I mean, I would, like, you know, maybe readily go for, like, m- you know, Mike Bird's um, stuff or even Miller. Theology, yeah. Or, or, yeah, even Miller Derrickson um, mm-hmm. for something a little bit more comparable that doesn't have maybe some of the same level of baggage. Mm-hmm. Um so that's maybe those were would be kind of the two plays. Oh, and then uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let you go. <laughs> well, no, I was going to say Mike Bird's uh, Evangelical Theology, yeah. the second edition. Um, but and those are introdu- that's more recent. So. Well, it's more recent, but it's also introductory as well. It, it it assumes that a lot of people may not have the level of training, and that's one of the blessings of Grudem's book is that it got a lot of people into theology because it was the first thing they could read. And fine, you know, that's I mean, I'm not going to knock that, but I see it, it as more of a catechism, to be honest. Yeah, that's true. You know, I mean, and the thing is, a catechism has its place. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, maybe I was like maybe more against it before um the kind of thing but it's you know again a catechism has its place and especially in an introductory setting like 
this is the Trinity. You know, here are some views on the Trinity. Here are some passages that we look at. You know, just, uh, you know, there's, there's benefit to that, too. Yeah, but, you know, so if you want a Reformed Baptist complementarian catechism, then you can't go wrong with Grudem. The only issue is you're not getting the best of scholarship summed up in an academically rigorous and introductory sufficient way. Yeah, although, you know, okay, so I had some of the... I would make some of the critique that... What was it? Maybe it was God's Not Dead. I don't know. So someone was telling me how they absolutely loved God's Not Dead. They showed it to their apologetics Sunday school class. And I don't know. I I guess I had a problem with it. I mean, uh, what what to say Um, or what not to say. Um, I guess what I didn't like was how people that didn't hold to Christian views were portrayed. And... You know, it's like, okay, I get that you have a film here that's, you know, positively portraying some basic apologetic arguments that you use. But the thing is, if you start teaching people to perceive their opponents or people that just disagree with them from a certain angle, um, they're going to be pretty surprised when they find out that, you know, maybe there aren't all like atheist teachers bent on destroying them that have weird hang-ups about God. I mean, I had a, you know, I had a atheist teacher in my physical anthropology class, you know, and, you know, didn't want to hear anything about, you know, more like he didn't want his class to be disrupted, you know, constantly by mm-hmm. grandstanding. And I get that. And you know what? I learned a lot and I love the class. So all this to say, you know, there's, there's a problem when you want your ideology to be number one taught, but from a vantage point that demonizes quote, all people that don't hold to your position and that they're all nut jobs and they're all this, they're all that, you know, that's no way to learn. There we go. All right. And so all this to say, um, there, I mean, Grudem's commitment to, I would say, the authority of Scripture and the applicability of Scripture and all that, like, I, yeah, I commend that. Um, I just think there are better evangelical systematic theology introductory texts yeah. that are up to date, that are rigorous, and that are more favorable to orthodox treatments of the Trinity and at least less rigid views of what women or wives can or can't do in the church and the home out there. And so Mike Bird's, I think, is probably among the better ones, Millard Erickson as well. But um, this has been the Split Frame of Reference podcast, talking about uh, Wayne Grudem's second edition systematic theology. And uh, any final words? Well, we have some time uh, before... Nolan wakes up, so I think we get to have a nap. Yeah, let's let's go take a nap. Or coffee. Oh, I think we just woke up. See you.